Green, Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to Green Left Radio on 3CR. My name is Chloe, and good morning, Jacob, the other presenter on the show. Yeah, good morning, listeners. Um, You're listening to Green Left Radio. And before we begin, Green Left, and here at 3CR, we acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the rightful sovereign owners of the land on which we live, work, and organise. Their land was taken through brute force, they never ceded sovereignty, and the colonisation of their land continues and their genocide continues to this day. And as socialists, we pledge to actively support decolonization, whether it's in Black Lives Matter, Invasion Day, Black Debts in Custody, or the Stolen Generation campaigns led by Indigenous Australians. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. And on the show today, we'll be starting off with some headline news. And then at 7.10, we have an interview with Kristen O'Donnell from the Anti-Poverty Centre talking to us about the Raise the Rate campaign. And then we have, uh, we'll be hearing from Matthew Abbott at, th- at 7.40 a.m., uh, who is the branch president of the National Tertiary Education Union branch at Federation University to talk about the recent stop work action across universities. And then at 8.10 a.m., we'll be interviewing Andrew Kopolov, a designer who is researching the need for a space fo- uh, for space um, and focusing on staff rooms for delivery riders and rideshare drivers. Uh, so, yeah, um, yeah, we'll start we'll start off with with uh, with the headline news. Jacob, you wanted to mention. Um, yeah, so to, to go over a number of kind of um, headline news stories, um, specifically focusing on what's been, I guess, happening in the state of Victoria. Now, we've been um, we've been promoting um, a welcoming rally by, um, that that was organised by Campaign Against Racism and Fascism um, at um, for a drag sh- um, drag children's story time event um, that that has been organised by the Monash City Ca- that was organised by the Monash City Council in um, in Oakley at Oakley Library. So that's when the event and the event was actually due to be happening. I I think on the it was pretty sure it was on the ninth the nineteenth of May. Um, so just quite a bit of time away. But the unfortunate news is that um, Monash Council, and we've actually been discussing this issue for mm. the past several weeks, um, because there has been this ongoing trend of far-right um, threats against um, trans and drag and other sort of LGBTI uh, events um, that have been um, hosted and, and organised by local councils. And so, disappointingly, Monash um, Council, City Council, has basically just said, you know, they've stated that they've been left with no choice but to cancel an event that would involve a drag queen um, reading books to children at the library and, and um, to celebrate LGBTIQ rights. 
So this is this is this I think this is very um, disappointing, and of course this was also on the International Day Against um, Homophobia, um, um, and and I think you know this is probably one of the several events. Um, that has been forced to kind of being shut down due to kind of threats by the kind of far right. And I think this is, I think this is very kind of disappointing. Um, especially since there was a welcoming rally organized by Campaign Against Racism and Fascism, which I think would have, would have actually, I think, if, if it was, if it all kind of went ahead, I think it would have given a lot of confidence to people because Last year, there was this, uh, there was, um, threats, um, by, made against a drag event in St Kilda. Mm. And because of that kind of pressure, um, the sick, um, the Stonington Council, which is the council that, um, that, man- um, that runs, um, that is, in- that manages that sort of local area, um, made a decision to spontaneously cancel the event in St Kilda. But, there was actually a mobilisation that was called by progressive and members of the LGBT progressive people and um, members of the LGBTIQ community, and that rally, even after the event got cancelled, um, it still it still mobilised a large number of people. Um, so that that so I think at this point the welcoming rally should be still going ahead at the ninth on Friday the nineteenth of May, but you could you can stay tuned next Friday um, because it is a number of weeks away because I think it probably will be still important to mobilise because basically. The welcoming rally, the rally, the, uh, the adjacent rally in Secure, even after the event got cancelled, attracted around 100 to 200 people. Uh, probably would have attracted even more if the if the drag event hadn't been cancelled. And the far right only kind of mobilised up to sort of eight to ten. Or actually, I think it was even less than that. And I think you know. We it was can't, enough to shut down, yeah. It, still, absolutely not enough to yeah. shut down. Right? So in sense, the far right is getting away with threats, despite the fact that they actually represent, you know, they actually are very marginal in society. And the, the fact that, you know, we actually have good, a great deal of public support for LGBTI rights. I mean, that's why it would have been unspeakable for local city councils to host events like this around 10 to 15 years ago. But that's a that's a kind of how far okay, I think the movement has sort of gone in terms of winning that sort of level of kind of public support. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, stay tuned for I think more kind of details on this. But I think we I think left wing and progressive people we have to figure out how we can mobilise and people against this kind of far right kind of threat because you know we absolutely don't you know this this politics is very much dominant in the United States. It's very much being pushed by the far right. Uh, in in places such as the United States and other parts of Europe, and I think it's very important that you know that is not kind of allowed to grow. Now, just this, I'll just speak about this kind of very briefly. Um, but interesting enough, uh, this is just a bit of a headline news story that it's just appeared in the Age um, this morning on the on the front page. But the headline is basically liberals in crisis as um, Dem- um, Deming rows to sue party leader and faces fresh expulsion push. Now. For listeners aware, this is all kind of connected to this whole transphobia issue because Maura Deming was, um, was facing, um, was facing threats of expulsion from the Victorian Liberal Party, uh, because of her attendance at, um, at the Posey Parker, um, transphobic kind of po- protests. So it's, it's quite fascinating that, um, you know, the Liberals, despite the fact that they're the ones who have actually very much been pushing this trend, um, this sort of transphobic, um, these transphobic politics, they're clearly kind of facing divisions politically on, on dealing with this. And I think, you know, I think it's probably a good thing that the Liberal Party within the, the state of Victoria is very much in crisis over this issue. And, you know, it's worth probably noting that the, the Liberal Party is in a kind of, in, is in a kind of state of decline. 
Um, but of course, that doesn't mean that we should give any sort of allusions to um, the Labor Party. But it is sort of an interesting. It is kind of no- notable to see that the Liberal parties are facing these kind of divisions. Um, I wonder if Chloe wanted to kind of just relay a quick story about just um, mention the, the article, um, and maybe li- listeners can read the read the read it on Green Left before we go into our interview. Oh, which article are you talking about? Um, the five four hundred one. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if we have time. Maybe we can do it after the. After the interview, because we're running out of time. Okay, yep. no problem. So, listeners, you can um, all these sort of news stories are just are just we've just taken these news stories that we've just um, discussed, not from Green Left, but from um, from the headlines, and just giving our sort of left wing kind of analysis of what's been happening. Now, I will go play a quick few announcements, um, and then we'll go on to our first interview for the program. You're listening to Green Left Radio. Worried about the climate crisis but not sure how to help? Whether you want to make your voice heard in our democracy, help out with local sustainability projects or hit the streets to protest for change, Climate Carnival has something for everyone. This two-day festival is your chance to meet a range of local climate and environment groups, get the facts on climate crisis and find out what you can do to make a difference. There'll be talks and workshops, music, comedy, kids' activities and more. So come to Mycelium Studios in Brunswick East on Saturday 6th and Sunday 7th of May. Make some new friends and find your place in the movement. For more information, look up Climate Carnival. 3CR is about community and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. You're back on Green Left Radio on 3CR, and it's time for our first interview with Kristen O'Connell, who is a spokesperson for the Anti-Poverty Centre, and she has been campaigning to raise the job seeker rate. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Hi, Chloe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for taking the time. Just to start off, Kristen, for people who don't know how difficult it is to survive on uh, job seeking other payments. Um, would you just be able to give a quick overview of how people are surviving right now during a cost of living crisis? Mm, yeah, I guess the first thing to say is lots of people aren't. Um, there's a lot of specifics I can give, but um, I think people need to understand the significance of this. And people like myself who are um, quite active in uh, our communities are receiving um, requests for support from more and more people who feel that suicide is their only option. People feel that the government would prefer them dead. People are self-harming and people are being admitted to psych wards. Um, So that's what we're seeing. And every time the government says something that exposes how cruel and heartless their policies are and the fact that they have no intention of changing them, that increases. So people are falling behind on bills, um, people are losing homes. Um, we need to see ev- eviction moratoriums back, right? We did it a couple of years ago. And, of course, 
all of us, the first thing we cut from our budget is food. So mm-hmm. I want to be really clear too, job seekers are very low payment. Youth allowance is even lower, but none of the working age payments are below uh, are above the poverty line. So all of us are, are feeling this. And um, Kristen, um, thanks for being on our program. And I guess the next kind of question I kind of wanted to ask is, you know, how how many... I want to kind of hear, I guess, about, you know, how many people are kind of being affected, I guess, and who is at risk, who is at greater risk of living in poverty, the mo- and especially in terms of the most vulnerable kind of groups? Mm. Because yeah, migrant workers and refugees on temporary visas are not even necessarily eligible for a job seeker. That's right. And they're not the only people who aren't eligible. So, again, in 2020, we got a really good demonstration of this when international students were excluded from financial support. Um, there are certain visa types, yes. There are also other eligibility restrictions on payments. So partner income tests mean that people get trapped in violent homes. Parental income tests, again, for people on youth allowance mean people get trapped in violent homes. And, I mean, also the rate of payments themselves, even if people could technically get a payment, it's not necessarily enough to escape a violent home. So um, particularly young queer people uh, struggle um, and as you say, lots of people are excluded based on their visa status. So when we talk about that, though, I think it's really important. So, so we always say, you know, we need to have every Centrelink payment above the poverty line and payments available to every person who needs one, um, who's on this continent. And so I think we try to stay away from that idea of who's more or less vulnerable. It's been a big conversation this week because the government's decided to frame older women as the most vulnerable. Um, there are so many factors uh, that affect our ability to survive on these extremely low incomes and they intersect and it's really hard to kind of pick one group. But, yeah, they are. there are quite a lot of different um, examples. Christian, can you tell us about the Anti-Poverty Centre? Yeah, thank you. Um, so we're a group of welfare recipients. Um, we established the Anti-Poverty Centre a couple of years ago um, feeling extreme frustration at the poverty industrial complex and the um, failure, decades of failure from the paid advocates to do anything to make our lives better. And in fact, many of the things that they've done seem to have allowed governments to go backwards on welfare policy and make our lives worse. And tired of being talked down to and spoken over by those paid advocates who don't understand our lives at all, so the Anti-Poverty Centre, we believe that um, the experts, the people who live it, that we have um, really sophisticated approaches to take and to put forward on policy and we are the most compelling people to talk about poverty because we understand it um, and many other things. So we're just sort of trying to push back against that idea of the like professional political and media class who all profit from poverty and none of whom have succeeded in changing it, whether they are trying to or not. Yeah. So when the ALP were in opposition, Albanese said the job seeker rate was unlivable and um, that nobody can live on $40 a day. Um, well, apparently that, that fact is actually even worse now when you consider the, the current kind of rate of inflation. Mm. And um, can we talk a bit about um, the ALP's track record on, on this question of job seeker and, um, and raising the rate? Mm. Well, I think the last time that Labor was in government and a rate increased, happened was in 1994 and it was about $2.50, I um, can't remember if it was $2.50 a day or $2.50 a week because back then prices were a little different, 
Um, but that's the last time Labor increased um, the basic un- unemployment payment. Last time Labor were in government, the gap between the rate of New Start, which is now called Job Seeker, and the poverty line dramatically widened. So it widened faster than it had under Howard. Um, we now have got a situation where the government's trying to divide people up and give basically nothing um, to older women just to sort of try and assuage people and, and get everyone to calm down because they really haven't understood how much the community recognises how deep the need is. And there are those extraordinary spending items that they're doing. There are the hundreds of billions of dollars they're putting into tax cuts. Mm -hmm. Um, Half a trillion dollars, I think, we're up to now with August with the little add-on they did a a few weeks after the initial announcement. And when we're just putting those, like, going back to those tax cuts, we are hearing more and more over the last few weeks from people who are saying, I will benefit from these tax cuts. I will benefit a lot from these tax cuts. And I don't want them because I don't want them when I can see so many people who need help more than I do. People understand what is going on and the government has really miscalculated that. I don't feel optimistic about the budget, um, but at some point something's got to break because Labor's record on this has been terrible, but people have had enough. They're sick of hearing no one left behind and looking at the millions of people around them who are being left behind. Yeah, there is no... Um, bad time to lift millions out of out of poverty, and mm-hmm. Labor government is just choosing not to do it. Um, Kristen, you were in recently involved in a raise the rate protest outside of Anthony Albanese's electoral electric office, and we covered this as part of an article in Green Left. Um, Can you just tell us, remind us how long? Well, you've given us a a, a good um, exp- explanation as to when. Um, it's been what, decades since Labor raised the rate, but how long have welfare recipients and anti-poverty activists actually been campaigning to raise the rate? And how can other people help in the fight and, and support this campaign? There is an incredibly rich legacy of unemployed workers, um, you know, mobilising and um, doing activism on this continent, going back, uh, where are we now? Yeah, over 100 years at least. Um, so there's a long lineage of people fighting for the rights of unemployed workers. Um, we, uh, so I feel like I mean, I'm a very recent um, addition to this movement. Uh, I began campaigning myself in early 2020, right before the pandemic hit us, um, right after I managed to successfully um, conclude my application for the disability support pension. And I suddenly had a little bit more energy. And that meant... I was able to get in touch with the Australian Unemployed Workers Union, um, which I had been watching and admiring for some time when I wasn't doing particularly well. And uh, the folks there have established in 2014, um, primarily around um, opposing the uh, thickening and brutal uh, mutual obligations regime, um, have been organising against that since 2014 in that organisation um, there's the anti-poverty network down in South Australia. I'm not sure when they established, actually. But the point is people have been doing grassroots organising on this issue for a long time. Um, I think that the more cruel the system gets, both the harder it gets to resist it, but the more people who do decide that they can't go on without resisting it, right? And so... This campaign, I think the actual official, you know, branded raise the rate campaign has been going 
God, what are we? Yeah, it's it's been going for probably nearly a decade, right? It's not it's not been very successful, which is why we want to try and do things differently and have people in poverty, people who survived in the welfare system, people who need access to welfare but can't get it, um, leading and uh, allowing um, ourselves to have even more confidence, to feel more entitled to the space in this conversation so that we, people can see we're, we're real, right? Like, I think we get um, treated as one-dimensional in the media and there's this very othering um, mm-hmm. process that happens with the way we talk about poverty and welfare recipients in this country. And that's what we want to change. Um, we want to do all of that work to, um, to transform people's understanding of not only what we're capable of, but also what we're worthy of. Um, so um, before I guess we kind of wrap up um, this interview, um, is, is there anything else you would like listeners to know? And actually one thing we would probably be interested in hearing you comment out because we've just been we've been talking about um raise the whole question around raising kind of job seeker but do you kind of also want to kind of comment that about the other some of the other issues that connect to the work that the anti-poverty center do mm-hmm. and also you know other kind of issue and also connect to this campaign yeah absolutely um and i think i missed part of your question earlier as well when you said how can people participate um so uh we've also done quite a bit of work around the um, (laughs) terrible housing Mm. fund bill that the government has put forward, which is seeking to further (laughs) financialise the the way that we do um, housing in this country. Um, We think there's two key uh, things that would really fundamentally shift, not just the lives of people in poverty and not just the lives of those on welfare, but everyone on low incomes, which is every payment above the poverty line, a sophisticated measure of poverty. So we don't have a very good measure of poverty right now. Um, We need to do a lot of work. We need this triage measure of take the poverty line we have, the Henderson poverty line, it's about $611 a week. Get everyone to that level. Then we can do the work of understanding poverty better, have an independent body, similar to how we have the RBA or the Fair Work Commission, independent of government making decisions that affect the economy, an independent body to set payment rates based on a new measure of poverty. And, of course, high-quality, beautiful public homes available to everyone who wants them, not just targeted to the group of people who's seen as the most needy, which leads to something we call residualization. It's a very wonky term for basically saying you put a whole lot of really vulnerable and high-needs people together because they're deemed, you know the most desperate into public housing or into community housing. Not enough, not adequate support, not adequate maintenance and no um, resourcing because only the lowest income people are in these properties. There's no rents coming in from higher income people to sustain the system and to fund that maintenance. So those are the two key things I think would really transform where we're at. In terms of folks getting involved right now, people would be aware it's budget next week. Um, the government has been flailing around trying to respond to public pressure by throwing bits and pieces out to see how people will feel and react. Um, if you go to the Anti-Poverty Centre Twitter or Facebook, I, sh- I should hopefully it should be up there. We've got a letter writing tool where you can just pop in your postcode. You can write whatever you want. We haven't done a pro forma. Um, send that to your MPs because normally we would say to people, not necessarily prioritise that type of action, But with the amount of movement we've seen from the government over the past couple of weeks on welfare, we think it is worth just giving that last final push to your MP 
to say, hey, this really is significant and we will not tolerate um, small changes like giving over 55 an extra $25 a week. We need every person above the poverty line. All right. Well, thank you very much, um, Christine. I think this has been a, a, a very good interview, and I think, yeah, um, I think ahead of the ahead of the budget, I think it will be important for people to kind of put as much pressure on on the lay mm-hmm. on the Labor Party. I mean, the fact mm-hmm. that probably what is significant, just to make a bit of a comment here, it is significant that probably a number of Labor MPs have kind of signed, I guess, an open letter, um, putting um, putting kind of pressure on Albanese. Um, of course, it's not like I would. I wouldn't want to exaggerate. It's like a big sort of rebellion because it's like it's probably like ten to fifteen Labor MPs out of a hundred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's it's also I think I think it's also a testament to you know the work that anti-poverty campaigners have been doing consistently um, on the issue. Um, and in fact, you know, as someone who got involved in activism around two thousand thirteen, they they've never they've never been these many sort of groups and um activists kind of organizing around the issue and so i think you know we've got to continue to kind of keep building um building the movement keep um getting more activists involved because i think you know this issue is not going to go away um especially in terms of um in terms of the cost of living crisis that um we're living under absolutely thank you so much thanks Kristen, for taking the time and just to um, plug the Anti-Poverty Centre again, um, it's antipovertycentre.org, um, the URL. And if you are a low income, you know, you don't have to contribute financially, but um, they do rely on community support, just like Green Left and 3CR. So you can help by sharing their work and request for support. Okay, well, we'll just go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. The Setting Sun Film Festival, the film festival of the West, is 10 this year. Come and celebrate at the opening night at the Sun Theatre in Yarraville on Thursday, 11th of May, or catch a film, event or activity right through till Friday, 26th of May. All Setting Sun Film Festival details and tickets are available online at settingsun.com.au. The Setting Sun Film Festival is a proud 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And so we'll go into some um, more news stories um, in between our interviews. But for now, we'll actually go take a bit of opportunity to take a bit of a breather. We'll play a song, um, which is Fragile by Kenny uh, Benny Walker. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. The fears are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes the fears, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white fear to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Where your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kufias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
apologies, listeners. We appear to be having technical issues with um, playing um, that track on 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 our program. So I'm just gonna go. I'm just getting quickly getting another track that we can sort of play. Um, I've got. Let me let me let's try. Let's see if this hopefully this works. We'll play Two Back Too Strong" by A B Arundel. You're listening to Green Left Radio. Brothers are back, they pay stacks to see him Fuck it up worse than this, a winner wax museum This plasticine like plasticine You see them motors old and the facts are big That I rock shows like I had four points Eight microphones and cut so much They sound like Morse code So fuck you and when your horse go Cause what you see the door stall is too late That's your horse Only the man that's too black With the plan that's too strong Said authority keeps stopping me Then asking me to move on, that's calculated Medicine is out of date man, they fucking love it when you sound afraid But this is my dad one, this my mother's black son Driving like a stolen blindfold and eyes closed Wearing a pair of bifocals and I'm still rocking Them black bodies still dropping Out we still feeling prison Out we still feeling coffins The A, the A, original A, B, original A, A, B, B, original A, A, B, B, original It's the blackout yeah, brothers in the area, smart black man with a plan, nothing scarier than blackout. Yeah, they still wanna kick the blacks out. Yeah, I get the feeling that I'm dead, even though I'm still here walking. All said and done, I can still hear talking the blackout. Yeah, they still wanna kick the blacks out. Yeah, they still wanna kick the. They can never do it better than this, and if they say that they did, then the terrorists win. It's the eight beat. In L, they are Bringing that dope shit Even if they are They wouldn't know rap It's a jab that trap And snap their back I'm like a breath of fresh air In a fresh pair Watching your demise With a stogie in the deck chair I'm check the method Roll another blunt Until a chest infection Right up till it sounds like A dial-up internet connection Get it like it's credit At the deli when you're hanging More rap tours than John Hammond God damn it Bring a famine to your food court in just one lunch, till I'm happy as a pig, two girls, one cup. Brother, run up and get wrecked like Netflix and chill, till I hit it with that slut, this is did it, then I peel. Catch me at that pie cart, maxing out my tab with Gina Reinhardt. That's frightening. I hit you with that Andrew Bolt of lightning. Right inside your fucking comfort zone. Choking from them undertones. You cater to the nature of the dumb and what's your abundance grow.
were back listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR and you were just listening to Too Black to Be, to be Strong by AB Original. And now we're just going to jump into some news from the pages of Green Left and we're going to focus on um, headline 501's demand Labor keeps its promise to end indefinite detention. So there are hundreds uh, currently hundreds of people being held still in detention facilities around the country under Section 501 of the Migration Act. And these are people who have finished serving their time for crimes they committed. But because they're not citizens, after their sentence is completed, the government just throws them into detention centres to await deportation. And so some of them have started organising peaceful protesting from inside the detention, and they're going to be doing this at least once a week. And these are detention centres all across Australia. And these places are not easy places to survive. There have been complaints of rotten food and, you know, things like broken glass, you know, people finding broken glass and things in food, food poisoning, abuse from guards and, and being denied the right to proper medical care. And some of them are saying the conditions are so bad that they would rather go back to prison than remain in detention. Some of these are refugees who are asking to be deported. Um, and some have already been um, not refugees, but some have been deported um, to, to places like New Zealand. Um, and many are just waiting there, not knowing when they'll be released. Uh, and some have actually been in detention for nine years after serving time Um and, yeah, sometimes their detention is longer than their sentence. So these, you can see that these prison centres that these people are serving are not really about rehabilitation. It's about continuing the punitive bipartisan migration policy. And the reason they're saying that, you know, Labor has lied, they, they promise to keep, it's promised to end indefinite detention, um, is that, well, it was made legal through amendments to the Migration Act um, to actually keep people locked up for their entire lives. And that passed without anyone really knowing in secrecy in, in 2021. And Labor, who was then in opposition, did support that migration amendment. It's called the Clarifying International Obligations for Removal Bill. But before the federal elections, the, um, the Home Affairs Minister, Claire O'Neill, she pledged a stronger relationship with New Zealand, saying her country's laws leave some New Zealanders in this suspended state of temporariness. I mean, that's putting it mildly. These people are, um, you know, suffering, you know, physical and mental illness for, you know, just being mentally tortured, not knowing when they're going to leave. Um, so we need to remain dedicated to campaigning around this issue and demand that every person who is forced to waste away in these detention camps are released immediately um and yeah uh, you know if you want to support them you can get involved um with groups like the refugee action collective um and yeah keep keep campaigning around this issue all right well thanks um thanks for that kind of report um um chloe and um just while we sort of have time i thought i'd just go highlight a number of um feature articles that have been that are being produced in green left's um international section and um so 
there's a we've um we there's a, there's an interview that we've actually done with um with an activist in involved in um with an activist involved in with a left wing socialist in Austria, because actually um Austria um the Communist Party of Austria has actually made a big massive kind of advance with a with a historical vote in the state of Salzburg, and this is quite significant because Austria is sort of not necessarily it's not necessarily a country that has necessarily has sort of strong kind of support for left-wing sort of ideas. So for the Communist Party of Austria to win this significant vote is quite significant in a lot of ways. And so you can actually read that interview. Um, it's titled, Austria, What's Behind the Historic Communist Surge in Salzburg? Um, so yeah, um, that's um, definitely kind of worth listening, um, worth reading. Um, and then we also have, um, we also have a report that, um, Chilean President Gabriel Boric has announced, um, a plan to nationalize the country's lithium industry to boost the economy and protect the environment. Now, this is probably, this is significant in probably a number of ways because Chile has one of the l- world's largest lithium reserves and the world's second, um, largest producer of, of met, of the metal after Australia. Um, and it's the world's number one and number two lithium suppliers, um, respectively, other two, which are the two, which, um, well, basically after, basically, Alborayal and Sokla, can't Monara de Chile are the world's number one and number two lithium suppliers, respectively. And of course, they are the two companies that hold, um, hold, currently hold licenses for lithium exploration. Now, I think this, yeah, this is a definitely, I think this will definitely be something that will be resisted by global capital, um, which has had a history of sort of intervening in in Latin America. I mean, we can't forget the whole Chilean, um, the whole coup that happened in Chile. Um, and the other, other big interview that we sort of um, feature we've done is is we've actually done a big interview. Um, we, uh, we've done an interview with Homan Abbas from the United Sudanese Revolutionary Forces um, about the whole crisis in Sudan. And so to just give a bit of background, you know, fighting has broken out in Sudan's capital, Khartoum, between the Sudanese armed forces and a powerful parliamentary faction, the Rapid Support Forces. And, of course, at the time of writing, more than 550 people have been killed, more than 4,000 have been injured, and more than 100,000 have been displaced. So, yeah, you can read this interview to kind of get a bit of a sense of what's what's been happening in Sudan from a socialist left-wing perspective. So there, those are just some of the highlights. Are, um, you can l- read all these articles on the Green Left website at greenleft.org.au. Now, I'm just going to go play a quick announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. Worried about the climate crisis but not sure how to help? Whether you want to make your voice heard in our democracy help out with local sustainability projects or hit the streets to protest for change. Climate Carnival has something for everyone. This two-day festival is your chance to meet a range of local climate and environment groups. Get the facts on climate crisis and find out what you can do to make a difference. There'll be talks and workshops, music, comedy, kids' activities and more. So come to Mycelium Studios in Brunswick East on Saturday 6th and Sunday 7th of May. Make some new friends and find your place in the movement. For more information, look up Climate Carnival on Facebook. Climate Carnival is a 3CR supporter. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. 
And we're very happy to be joined today by Matthew Abbott, um, who is actually um, a university worker and also a branch president of the NTU branch at Federation um, University. So good morning, Matthew. Good morning. Um, just kind of start off um, kind of the discussion, I guess, as a university mem- um, worker and an NTU member, um, just for our listeners, can you give us, I guess, a bit of an overview of the issues, I guess, affecting the university sector? Um, some of our listeners would be aware, but there was actually a, a big kind of, um, there was a big stop work action by all the Victorian universities on, on Wednesday, and you can read a report about it on Green Left. But yes, um, you can give a bit of an overview of the issues affecting the university sector. That would be great, Matthew. Sure thing, yeah. So, look, ours is a sector in crisis. Um, this is tied up with the impact of the COVID period, but that wasn't really the cause of, um, of all the issues because uh, the issues were, were kind of in place um, before the, uh, the pandemic hit. Um, when it did, um, there were impacts on things like international students, also domestic students, um, enrollment and, and revenue. Um, and... Uh, Vice chancellors and others on university executives kind of use the use the crisis as a uh, a reason or an excuse to push through lots of changes that um, you know they really wanted to make and which were and still are usually unpopular and uh, destructive. So we've had um, you know a crisis that um, has been kind of exploited uh, by by the bosses in the sector, uh, and what we've seen is rapid job losses, um, you know, tens of thousands of people losing work. Um, we've seen uh, even further casualisation, um, and that's really at the heart of the problems in the sector, is the over-reliance on um, casual and sessional workers who are highly exploited. Um, and uh, we've seen workloads exploding for uh, for all staff as well, including ongoing staff like me. Yeah, thanks, Matthew. Uh, Chloe, um, also as one of the presenters, what can you tell us about some of the issues that are specifically affecting Federation University, which you know is a, a smaller campus compared to, well, a small university compared to you know um, Melbourne or, or Monash? Sure. Yeah. So the Fed Uni is, a, as you say, it's a smaller and, and regional institution. Um, we had a kind of culture of pastoral care and student support um, that was in place. I don't know, maybe five or one more years ago, uh, a lot of that is now gone because of the um, uh, the kinds of actions that I've mentioned before, uh, especially casualisation and um, uh, job cuts. Um, job cuts, of course, translate to cuts in student support services, uh, cuts to uh, to offerings, you know, cuts to library services. You know, we've really had a program of austerity push through um, since since 2020, and um, it's undermining the the kind of institution that we're that we're meant to be, um, and um, the university uh, management, senior management, has really no plan for uh, for dealing with the problems that they've created because we've actually now got very serious issues with um, with student enrolment, both domestic and international. They say it's about the pandemic, but um, you know it's about their actions um, throughout the pandemic. Uh, and um, uh, the university is not quite at at crisis point yet in terms of our own you know internal operations and finances, but. Um, we're in quite a bad way. Um, and, of course, that's part of the background to the dispute over pay. Um, so um, that's causing lots of um, you know, interesting issues for us in um, the ongoing industrial dispute as well. And um, what can you, I guess, what can you tell us about, I guess, this industrial campaign um, the NETU is leading, which I guess 
was kind of launched through that kind of stop work kind of action. And I guess what are some of the general kind of demands um, that has kind of been made of university management, especially in terms of the, a lot of the EBA kind of negotiations? Sure, yeah. We're kind of, you know, at the, the pointy end of our bargaining campaign. We sort of started earlier than um, every other university in Victoria, so our, our campaign is kind of further advanced than, um, than others. Um, the issues that we've been uh, attacking throughout the campaign uh, are the ones that I, I mentioned before, the ones that are um, widespread and you know, systematic across the sector. Uh, Casualisation, uh, of course, um, has been the highest priority for the NCU as a whole in this, in this round of bargaining. Um, we've actually got some pretty good in-principle agreement on uh, casualisation, um, academic casualisation, and for general staff as well. Um, and uh, workloads for ongoing academic staff was a, uh, another really central issue for us, uh, on which we have got um, a fairly good result. Um, but there are still a list of issues outstanding, um, especially ones pertaining to our professional staff colleagues. Uh, they make up the bulk of our membership at the Federation University branch, and um, we're still pushing for some of the changes that um, are very important to them, including the right to work from home when that doesn't impact in a negative way on operations, um, you know, things like proper job classification procedures, um, fairly, fairly basic stuff that, that if, if we win it, um, they, those things would certainly make a big difference in the lives of uh, professional staff at, uh, at Fed Uni. Uh, and then, of course, the, the major issue that's still outstanding and the one that's basically you know, unifying the whole membership and causing so much anger and discontent among um, staff really across the university, including non-members, is the shocking pay offer that they've uh, they've covered up with, uh, which amounts to about 2.2% a year, um, the lowest in the sector. Uh, if, if we were to accept this, and, and we're not going to, uh, it would be the lowest in the sector um, by quite a long way in this round of bargaining. Uh, that's a shocking offer. And, of course, management's blaming their um, financial situation, um, which isn't great, but it's not as bad as they say. Um, but that, that issue um, has helped to unify the whole membership, uh, and I think that's part of why we've seen such um, assertive action uh, at our branch uh, over the course of this week. Thanks, Matthew. It, it all sounds really inspire, inspiring. Um, would you be able to give us your political perspective on what needs to be done next in terms of mounting this industrial fight? Um, we've got a couple of bargaining meetings coming up in the next um, two weeks. I mean, the first one is on the 16th. Um, after that, we're going to call a all-member meeting and basically take direction from our membership about um, where we're headed. Um, a, lot, a lot, I think, will depend on the, the pay offer. Um, we expect they're going to um, increase the offer um, over the course of you know the next week or so, or maybe they'll wait for the bargaining meeting. Um, but we certainly expect them to increase it because... The offer they've actually given has, has clearly got a lot of amber in it. It's not really a serious one. Um, it's one kind of, you know, opening move to, um, you know, demolition and disorient, I think. But, um, you know, that, uh, we're sort of expecting an increase there. It's just a question of by how much. And um, I guess um, to kind of conclude, I guess, um, I conclude, I guess, this kind of interview, um, in the in it was reported, I guess, in the kind of media um, that um, in response to these kind of uh, these act these actions, uh, this um, by the stop work action by university workers from all um, from all the Victorian kind of universities, um, there's obviously been now a lot more kind of pressure on on universities on university managements, and of course in the media. Uh, one kind of university, well, I'm not sure if it was a vice chancellor or some big bureaucrat in a, in, in the university, 
Um, in an attempt to kind of make a justified kind of claim um, for this sort of ca- for casualized contracts in the university, um, they stated that you know. Um, you know, you have to be good to be an academic. No one kind of has a right to be, I guess, an academic. Um, and I guess I would like to kind of hear your kind of political viewpoints on, you know, as like an NTU activist and a university worker, how would you actually respond to what I actually would consider a bit of a bullshit kind of claim? Yeah, I, I saw that and it's, um, you know, quite typical, but also uh, a really appalling thing to say. Um, of course, right now, our universities run on the labour of casual academics uh, and casual staff in general. Uh, and, of course, um, uh, is, you know, is he claiming that those people are not good? Um, if so, why are they being hired to carry out the bulk of the, uh, of the teaching work at our university? So uh, it doesn't really stand up, um, but it shows the, um, the contempt that the bosses really do have for university workers and, I think, uh, academics in particular. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's one of those comments that I think will help only to... Um, to fire up our union members, and um, I'm really excited by what uh, what was happening this week at, at Trades Hall, and of course at our own branch. I think the um, the big division of the NTU um, has actually got quite a bit of fight in it, so it should be a very interesting campaign. And um, hopefully, we can put a great deal of pressure on uh, here and um, the VCs and uh, all those other bastards. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, um, Matthew, um, for being on our program. And I think, yeah, all the solidarity, um, to your fight against, uh, university management. And yeah, hope, keep, and I hope they, I hope the negotiation, um, you keep up the fight in terms of the negotiations and actually, you actually win what, um, university workers actually win what they, what they actually deserve. Thanks, Jacob. Appreciate it. All right. So we're just speaking to Matthew Abbott, who is um, the branch president of the NTU branch at Federation University. And yeah, just for our listeners, we're probably going to have um, more interviews with um, different um, university workers over the course because in right now they, there's there's ongoing kind of negotiations kind of happening. I guess we're kind of hoping we'll do an interview with a casual academic uh, and a casual activist where we can actually talk about go into kind of detail about the kind of work, um, the kind of workload issues at universities. Mm-hmm. And I think as Matthew kind of said, I mean, that sort of claim that, you know, you have to be good to be an academic. No one has a right to be an academic. I mean, right now, most, the majority of these universities are actually reliant on casual kind of labor. And in, in fact, it's actually weakening, um, it's actually weakening the kind of, um, it actually is actually weakening the kind of work at academia. Cause, you know, university managements can just make, uh, you know, make cuts, uh, to, um, to workers, uh, um, despite the fact that they might be actually a good common good for a lot of this economy. So to go back to, to retreat back to this sort of elitism of academic, you know, integrity or, and so on, and it, I think it's, it's actually a very, it's a very dishonest kind of claim that comes from university management. And in fact, they're actually, in a sense, they're actually part of the problem. <laughs> it's actually the work, you know, the workers are the ones who are the ones, they're the ones who have been producing the papers. They're the ones who keep the universities going. They're the ones teaching students. Okay, well, I'll just go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. City Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. City Limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 
855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City limits. Three CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855am. And we'll just get a play, we'll go, before we go into the Green Left Activist calendar, I thought we would play a quick song. So we'll play World Turning by Yofo Yindi. You're listening to Green Left Radio.
All right, you're just listening to World Turning by Yofu Yindi. And um, now it is time for the Green Left Activist Calendar. Yep. Um, so from today, Friday, May 5th to Saturday, May 6th, we've got some music. You're a boy. Oh my God, I'm Black at the Melbourne Recital Centre at 31 Sturt Street in Southbank. And... Um, yeah, on, and then again today there is a Bobby, a Bobby Sanders commemoration at 5.30 p.m. at Trades Hall. At Trades Hall, the Hunger Strikers Plaque, 54 Victoria Street in Carlton. On Saturday, or from Saturday, May the 6th to Sunday, May the 7th, there's a climate carnival at the Mycelium Studios, 10 to 12 Moreland Road, East Brunswick. Again on Saturday, May 6th, there's a community meeting. Meet local Marybeck councillors Monica Hart and Sue Bolton at 2pm at the Tennis Club ATC Cook Reserve 1 Ash Court in Glenroy. And on, Saturday, on Sunday, May the 7th, there's May Day Rally and March at 1pm at the Assemble Trades Hall. March leaves at 2pm and then returns to the Trades Hall where we can... Well, there'll be community stalls, breakfast barbecue, and other activities starting from 10 a.m. Then Saturday, May the 13th, there'll be a rally commemorating 75 years of Nakba. That's going to start at 1 p.m. at the State Library on Swanson Street in the city. And then Friday, May the 19th, there is a concert uh, called Timor Lest Solidarity, Keep the Change, 5.30, Trades Hall, Common Room, Ligon Street, Carlton. On May the 20th, there's join in a mass action for forests. So for, folks from um, the mass meeting are getting prepared for Victoria's anti-law, anti-protest laws that are coming that have come into effect. You can find more details when you visit the Gunjara Environment Centre uh, Gecko website. Wednesday, May 24th, there's going to be a film screening of Jeremy Corbyn, The Big Lie, at 6.30pm, the new international bookshop, Trades Hall, 54 Victoria Street in Carlton. And then on Thursday, from Thursday, May 25th to Saturday, May the 27th, we've got Occupy for Melbourne, for Occupy for Climate Melbourne. And there are, we have details and info, you can sign up, um, a link um, on the activist calendar. And Jacob, do you just want to finish up the Green Left activist calendar by mentioning the upcoming eco-socialism conference? All right. So um, just to get, um, give um, people kind of details, um, Green Left is um, is going to be, is basically is, is organising the upcoming eco-social 2023 um, conference um, to, with, with the theme a world kind of beyond capitalism. It's going to be taking place in. Melbourne and Nam in, in, um, from July 1st to July 2nd at the Victorian Trades Hall. And drawing on, drawing on a Green Left article, um, probably one of the most kind of important topics, um, that the Eco-Socialism Conference will be covering will be the ecological and social impacts of a new surge in global military spending. And research by Stockholm International Peace Institute on April 24 found global military expenditure rose by 3.7% in real terms last year to reach a new high of a 2.24 trillion. This huge amount of public money would be better spent on dealing with the climate emergency and addressing urgent social needs. 
And this go, and of course this growing, and of course there's also growing public outcry to the 368 billion AUKUS nuclear powered submarine deal in Australia, but also serious concerns being raised across the Asia Pacific. And of course this, the Ecosocial Conference will will address this kind of growing militarism with activists from Iran, Pakistan, India, Japan, Malaysia, the Philippines and Australia. One of the keynote speakers, um, Kohei Saito, whose 2020 book, Capital in the Afrospeen, um, who so- sold more than a half a million copies in Japan, will be a keynote speaker. He'll be kind of speaking around the ideas of degrowth communism and the ideas of, and how, you know, the ideas of Marxism, um, how Marxism informs how we can, um, relate to the question of, of uh, the environment. Clifton D. Rosera, who's a leader of the Communist Party of India, Marxist Leninist Liberation, Liberation and a campaign for Dalit rights will be speaking. Uh, um, Yu Ting, who is a leader of the Socialist Party of Malaysia and coordinator of the Socialist Party of Malaysia Environmental and Climate um, um, Crisis Bureau, will be a speaker. Then we'll also be having Baruz Bashani, Iranian writer and former asylum seeker detained by Australia in Manus Island, and Farooq Tariq, president of the Harku Party of Pakistan, and um, and these are just some of the examples of some of the featured speakers. Um, some of them will be online, like Kohei Saito and Baruz Bashani, but others like Clifton, um, Hogting, and Farouk will be in person. And Tariq actually has said, I'm told Green Left that the mad arms race must end immediately so the most challenging issue, the climate crisis, can be addressed. The imperialist countries could use the funds to compensate the, um, the, the third world, which is bearing the brunt of climate disasters. He said he was also threatened with expulsion from um, Comp 27 when he raised this at a summit in Sharm el-Sheikh. And I think the other um, the other features of of the eco um, eco eco socialism conference will be discussing the political character of the new of the Modi government and the growing state sanctioned violence against religious minority communities and other oppressed groups. It will also discuss the race war and its consequences. Um, so yeah, more speakers will be announced soon. But Green Left is proud to kind of host Eco Social in 2023 and provide a platform for the voices of peace, justice, and ecological sustainability that the corporate media consistently ignores. And, you know, you can, you can come to, um, you can, it, it would be great if, um, any of our listeners would be able to come to the Ecosocialism 2023 conference. You can book your tickets by going on the, um, the website at ecosocialism.org.au. And you can also become a supporter of Green Left, a people-powered voice for urgently needed, um, social change, system change by going on, on the Green Left website at greenleft.org.au forward slash support. So just to repeat, the Ecosocialism conference will be um, World Beyond Capitalism will be taking place from July 1st to July 2nd, and you can, um, and uh, in, at the Victorian Trades Hall. Okay. Well, um, I might just go play, um, I'll play a quick, I'll play a quick announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. City City Limits. Limits. Brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am. 
city limits is Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment. To transport and planning and housing issues. To privatisations and our utility services. To building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, city limits. limits. CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Okay, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 um, today um, on 855 AM. And I'll just go pass it on to Chloe because um, we actually have a guest live in the studio. So I'll get Chloe to introduce you. Yeah, uh, welcome and good morning to Andrew Kopolov. I hope I pronounced that correctly. So Andrew is a designer and researcher with an interest in the social value of infrastructure and um, you're currently looking into ways we can support the rights of delivery riders and rideshare drivers. So welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks very much. Great to be here. Okay, just quick, quick. Uh, yeah, all good. Sorry, just I didn't get the... Yeah, all good. Mic's all on. Sorry, we're having a bit of um, technical difficulties in the studio this morning, but it's good to have you on the show, Andrew. Um, Why don't you just tell listeners, um, it's really exciting research you're doing. Tell us a little bit about your research and what you're investigating. For sure. So my research has been on mostly on precarious work. Uh, So it started from a sort of ongoing interest of mine in logistics and the people who do, who work in logistics, you know, these kind of unseen workers who uh, are responsible for sort of taking things all around the world, basically the global supply chain. So it came about looking into that and thinking about uh, logistics workers in the city who are primarily, it's the food delivery riders. So, yeah, looking at them and sort of considering them as a group who are very much underserved and who have no real space or amenity. So, yeah, trying to think about how the city could be designed a bit differently to better accommodate their needs. Yeah, yeah great. Um, Jacob, did you have a question? Yeah, so I guess um, the next kind of question I want to sort of exp- um, is, guess what kind of expired you to kind of um, organise this project? Like, you know, maybe some of the kind of um, lived kind of experiences that you might have had. For sure. Well, I have to say that uh, though I have been doing food delivery work for a few months now and in previous projects I have done other things like... Uh, uh, you know, I spent a few, I spent a week on a container ship, which is an interesting thing. But this primarily, it's a kind of research-oriented thing for me, rather than explicitly lived experience. Uh, so, I do, however, think there's an important role for 
sort of researchers to engage with these kind of issues and to kind of not only to research them but also like we are now to communicate them to broader publics yeah actually going back to the the first question about um you know why you're in uh, doing this research um so far have you you know what what does the design of of say melbourne city or cities in general around the world how do they impact migrant workers Hmm. or or, um you know migrant gig gig workers sure so (laughs) The the fact of the matter is there's no real space or amenity. That's kind of the most glaringly obvious aspect of this. And it's things like, you know, when I speak to delivery riders about where to go to the toilet or something, it's it's shopping centres or it's, you know, it's sort of making do with what you've got. But the, the issue is, you know, maybe it's a toilet in a public park. However after a certain time of day, those options are all shut and these people are still working. So, you know, in dire situations, that's where people might have to go to the toilet on the street or something like that. Uh, Yeah. uh, yeah. And then they get a fine and can't afford it. (laughs) Exactly. And... um what um they they given that this they, that kind of brings us into kind of like the kind of demand for delivery um, riders kind of staff rooms and I guess can you tell us about this kind of um, test run slash launch of the staff room like when and where and how do people get in kind of involved and support? Sure. So the Gig Workers Hub is the sort of initiative that I'm speaking about, but specifically and. Next week, we're going to have a Melbourne Gig Workers Meetup as part of that. And this meetup will be running from Monday the 8th of May until Sunday the 14th of May. And that will be at Testing Grounds, which is a fantastic uh, cultural institution running out of the Queen Victoria market. So we'll be there all day, uh, sorry, (laughs) from 1 p.m. until 7 p.m. each day. And there'll be free food there'll be the capacity to charge your your batteries there's plenty of information from different sources in in different languages and that will be uh, about things like visa or ABN but also there's going to be some really interesting other initiatives there so we've got job watch coming in who are an employee legal service and they're offering free legal aid on Thursday afternoon from 2 p.m. Uh, so as well as that, we've got the Gig Worker Support Service, which is a new initiative run by the Victorian state government. So they'll be coming to start uh, opening up that initiative. Yeah. Um, I actually, um, um, before, I want to kind of ask a bit, because um, I think a few more kind of questions have sort of come to mind, um, is I guess in terms of like um, this sort of trial, um, is there kind of like, do you kind of, what do you kind of see, like, is there kind of a kind of, do you see this sort of playing a role in terms of putting kind of pressure on political kind of institutions to potentially sort of opt up this? Because I guess one thing to kind of think about is, you know, logistically, um, when it come, if you create a kind of demand for, for some kind of service like this, you know, there is an obvious sort of, um, there's an obvious suggestion of what institution would be able to cover it. Like, for example, should local councils mm. or state governments actually be putting funding into addressing these things? Mm. And I guess also possibly the other thing is, 
you know, more broadly, um, how do you see this kind of experiment as being part of kind of like a broad, do you see this sort of thing as being part of a kind of broader campaign for uh, delivery rider um, rights? Because, you know, they are probably one of the more heavily kind of exploited workforce uh, in the kind of workplace. They, they you know, were, were kind of told that they're, you know, delivery riders are their own boss, but they actually face some of the worst kind of exploitation. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot in that. So thank you. Um, so just to reiterate what you're saying at the end there, yeah, delivery riders and rideshare drivers are classed as independent contractors, right? That's the terminology that they use. Or some of these companies, the platform companies also talk about them as, uh, delivery partners or something mm-hmm. like that. You know, very, oh, very equal footing. Yeah, right. Uh, so being classed as an independent contractor means that you don't get the same rights as an employee. It means you don't get super, you don't get sick pay, uh, and it also means that there's no right to collective bargaining. So I guess that comes back to what you were saying about the pressure and which other actors might be involved. So, yeah, to to reiterate the ambition of this project is to establish a network of permanent staff rooms, permanent spaces in the city, in central Melbourne. And to do that, as you say, of course, we'll need support from various local, possibly even state actors in government. Uh, Now, it's worth mentioning that the city of Melbourne have given me a small grant to help run this event next week, which which is really fantastic, and it shows that there is... There is some recognition on the part of these different organisations, different groups, that something needs to be done here. As I mentioned, also the state government have put up this gig worker support service. Uh, and the other, the other factor is the Transport Workers Union, so, of whom I'm a member, and they're doing excellent work in trying to, in helping to represent uh, gig workers from delivery, from rideshare, and from uh, courier industries. And in spite of that, so all of these things need to be done in order to need, all of these actors need to be involved in order to ensure that the rights and uh, the conditions of workers are improved. But that being said, this uh, focus that we have on sort of space and culture is another thing that's really important and that seems to go perhaps a little bit under the radar when it comes to this discussion of how to improve things. Uh, Just to explain a bit further the need for that, it's one thing to improve conditions and, you know, to get beyond minimum wage. Mind you, most people doing this work, 57% are getting paid under minimum wage. So it's one thing to improve that, and of course that's essential and vital, but that doesn't necessarily make the work any less alienating. Mm. So this specific project is trying to address isolation and alienation of gig workers. Yeah, I think it's a um, a fantastic project and, and research you're part of because, <clears throat> yeah, when you think about it, they don't have any one place where they can unite and share their experiences and organize for better conditions. So, you know, we really hope that um, these uh, uh, staff rooms, these delivery 
writer staff rooms actually um, become permanent things for for gig workers because you know some of them have died on the roads. It's actually mm. really dangerous work. The fact that you're um, you know promoting things like fixing lights and things. I mean these are all safety. Um, you know if they're, they're driving at night without lights because um, they don't have a chance to fix it. I mean it's it's a really good opportunity to do that and yeah meet with other workers. It's a good thing the unions are involved as, as well. Mm. Um, did did you have any other questions before we wrap up the interview, Jacob? Or not at this yeah? stage? Yep. Uh, well, you know, for listeners again, it's going to be from Monday, May the eighth, until Sunday, May fourteenth, at the testing grounds at Melbourne's Queen Victoria um, Market from one pm to seven pm. So you can meet Andrew there, and um, hopefully, um, you know, we can spread the word to other gig workers. And have have them meet you there. But before we wrap up the interview, is there anything else you would like listeners to know about? I guess I'd just say that uh, these workers deserve dignity. And uh, it's important that... The other thing to mention is that this type of work, this casualization, uh, it's not just about gig workers, right? Like every kind of industry is facing working... You know, this is... In some respect, a, a the image of a dark future that we might all face. I mean, yeah. yesterday it was the university staff striking about casualization. Mm-hmm. So I would just say that uh, gig workers deserve dignity, and people ought to remember that it's maybe not too far from home. Yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great way to end the interview. And, and really, thank you for coming into the studio to, to tell us about this. You'll find the links um, to this when we um, put up the podcast of this show. And yeah, thanks. Thanks once again, Andrew. Thanks a lot for having me. Cheers. All right, thank you again for Andrew. And um, you're, listening, you're listening to kind of Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And we'll just play a quick announcement. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What you need is we've got the hand. Lots of changes. We need more brothers. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And we're getting to um, the end of our program. We probably have around six to seven kind of minutes left. But I thought I would um, conclude by actually doing a bit of a headline kind of news story that we didn't get to discuss earlier in the program. But last week it was actually announced that um, the Greens have actually announced a plan to introduce a bill to Federal Parliament to freeze rents um, in interest rates right before the budget announcement, which is um, happening around uh, around early, um, which is around early um, early May. Now, 
probably one of the um, the green to give you a bit more detail about what the Greens are kind of proposal, uh, proposing. This proposal is actually kind of aimed at giving renters and homeowners fighting, um, um, giving owners, uh, renters and homeowners um, fighting spiralling costs some reprieve. And of course, it would see the federal government work with states and territories to freeze rent increases nationwide. The jurisdictions that agreed to implement rent freezes for two years and cap increases at 2% every two years after that would be able to secure a double amount of Commonwealth housing funding. Now, Greens Housing and Homelessness spokesperson Max Shader Mayfair said the party would seek to introduce the bill when Parliament returns for the upcoming budget early next month. And he argues that, you know, we, we did, and we played an interview with Max Shader Mayfair where he talked about this, um, that this, we're in a national housing and rental crisis that requires national leadership and the Greens will have a bill before the Senate this budget week that will freeze rent increases and mortgages that the Labor could pass straight away. And I guess probably a few things to kind of comment about this um, is I, I think it is quite um, I, I think it is kind of uh, significant in a way uh, that the Greens are pushing this idea of freezing interest rates because we've been talking I guess about this whole issue of inflation and the Reserve Bank of of Australia. And actually, the Reserve Bank of Australia, uh, you know, disgracefully has actually just announced they're actually going to increase interest rates by 0.5% um, in in order to kind of curb inflation. Now, there's no denying that um, this whole issue of inflation is is an issue. Um, there, there is an, there's a whole issue of, you know, a surplus of money in which is contributing, um, contributing to inflation. But I think I think from a kind of social perspective, we have to kind of be clear that, you know, all these things about raising kind of interest rates, etc., is very much, it's very much engineered around putting the cost of inflation that is in a sense of the cap, of the capitalist system's kind of own doing onto the, onto ordinary people. So they're, they're targeting, you know, ordinary people with mortgages. Um, they're targeting, um, they're targeting, you know, um, renters with the aspiring costs. They're putting the, this whole cost of living crisis on us. And I think the other thing I think is well significant about this announcement is I think it does challenge the idea that the Reserve Bank of Australia is this independent sort of body that can't be subject to to the authority of of the of the state, um, because you know it's almost like the Reserve Bank of Australia is almost being treated as this sort of neutral body that's just above government policy and above above any kind of authority, and it's been and it's actually um, completely kind of un- unaccountable. Um, so I think it is actually a kind of welcome development that the Greens are pushing this debate of freezing interest rates. Um, Although, you know, there's obviously, there's obviously some discussion that we obviously, um, there's obviously some discussion about the details of this sort of policy, but I think any sort of policy has to kind of be directed towards making the, making the ruling class, um, and the capitalist class actually pay, um, for, for this, for the inflation and, and the rise of, um, uh, and the cost of living crisis. Um, and I think, you know, we should not, and I think, you know, we should not treat, we should not, um, treat this idea that the Reserve Bank of Australia is this sort of sacred, um, sort of institution that is, uh, above reprieve. And I think, you know, the, and politically as well, I mean, institutionally, the are, the Treasurer already has the power to overrule the RBA and, you know, they, but of course, the treasurer just generally doesn't, um, because the treasurer doesn't necessarily rule in the interests of ordinary people. 
doesn't really, you know, um, apply that power. So I think, you know, it's good that the Greens are, are pushing this, and I think we should probably have more discussion about, you know, the mechanisms of what freezing interest rates mean, and also all these kind of policies in terms of how you address inflation from a left-wing working, um, pro-working class kind of perspective. But yeah, we're getting into, I think, the end of the program, um, and yeah, you'll see, we'll hear more developments about about this about this bill. I think my my prediction, I guess, just uh, to comment, is I, I probably it's Labor is probably not likely to kind of vote on it, but I think the fact that the Greens are kind of pushing this kind of debate, I think it will be important that people mobilise on on this issue, um, and because the, the housing crisis is not going to go away. But yeah, Chloe, do you have any sort of final comments you want to make before we kind of wrap up the program? Um, just want to thank our guests. Um, thank you to Kristen O'Connell, Matthew Abbott, and Andrew Kopolov for being a guest on our show. And um, yeah, thank you, listeners, for for tuning in. And also thank you to su- the supporters of Green Left and also 3CR. Um, if you're not already a supporter of Green Left, please sign up today. Uh, for those who can't afford it, it's as low as five dollars per month. Um, and you know, you are supporting campaigns for justice against cruelty to people held in definitely in detention. Uh, you're helping us campaign to, to pressure the government to raise the, the rate of job seeker. You're fighting against the super exploitation of migrant workers and for public housing, uh, for more affordable housing. And you're helping power um, grassroots media that is independent of corporate interests. So, um yeah, and also book your tickets to eco- the Eco-Socialism Conference. Keep fighting and enjoy your weekend, everyone. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers, from your slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions. Serve all masses. Arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right, the commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.